Telling tales and biting nails are gone But in my mind I know they will Well, that was the opening music to 1967's To Sir With Love Released by Columbia Pictures And starring Sidney Poitier Who, I have to say, is a really... Good-looking gentleman, isn't he? Wow. Oh, no kidding. There's a, I, I look on uh, the internet. He's, I think he's 87, and there's a picture of him. He's a, he's still looking good. Still looks good, and a powerful, oh, yeah. powerful actor. He, to me, he really was the center of this movie in in a lot of, in so many ways. Uh, just really anchored it for me. You're listening to classic movie reviews. And you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net. Or you can just search on iTunes for Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson. And I'm Bob Johnson. And uh, we welcome you back to our podcast uh, of To Sir With Love. I enjoyed the movie. really did. I did, too. I hadn't seen it before. And I'd always heard about it. And I'd wanted to see it. But just never had the opportunity. And I'm, I remember going to it back in the summer of 1967, and that I hadn't seen it since then. I guess that uh, opening song was a huge uh, hit, like a number one selling record at the time. Oh my, was it ever! I can remember it being played all the time on the radio stations in Denver and Boulder, over and over and over. <laughs> And the woman that sang it, Barbara Pegg, who plays Lulu in the movie, was actually the singer. And she was in the movie, and she sang it in the movie, which was interesting. Yes, she did. And, and she uh, actually, you know, I think, I think her name is Lulu, and she played Barbara Pegg. Oh, is that it? I have it backwards. I, I, I think. I think so. <laughs> I looked her uh, background up on the internet. Seems like I'm on the internet a lot, but. I, She's still active. She's still performing. She just released a compilation with a bunch of famous singers like Sting and probably um, Bono. Maybe I forget. <laughs> but there was a there. It was pretty impressive. I didn't realize that she was still uh, so active. I, I didn't either. I do. I do enjoy the song. It's just that I can remember hearing it for like six months in 1967, endlessly because it was number one on the charts for weeks. It sounded like a song that you'd hear in a James Bond movie to me, kind of. You know, like one of those opening songs that you hear at the beginning of a James Bond movie. (laughs) I hadn't thought of that. It may have been written by someone who did James Bond movies. I don't know. In an alternate universe, To Serve With Love could be a James (laughs) Bond movie. (laughs) So uh, I was looking up some of the background. It was made by uh, Columbia Pictures with their British... Uh, production unit, Columbia British Productions. And the budget, $640,000, which is, even in today's world, fairly modest. The box office is $42.5 million. Jeez. That's not a bad return. I'm sure it's still making money, too, you know. <clears throat> I would think so. And Sidney Poitier, who is such a wonderful actor, took a small fee, but then he negotiated that he would receive 10% of the gross revenues. That was smart. No kidding. <laughs> and then he and the, I was reading a little aside, 
that he and Columbia negotiated over how that 10% would be paid out. And Columbia wanted to top it at $25,000 a year for his 10%, you know, when they calculated it out, it would have taken him 80 years to pay it out. So <laughs> He'd they, still be getting paid from that. They would, they would, they renegotiated it. Uh, I don't know if there's a lot of truth in that. Sometimes when I read these things, I think, I wonder if that's really what happened or it's what somebody wrote about that they wanted to have happen. Yeah, it's hard anyway, to know. It was a good movie. Yeah, I thought the opening scenes with the bus, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on because it was just like five minutes of this bus making stops and yes. driving through the country and then getting into the city. And I figured out that they were just showing how far he traveled to get to work. You know, it was I know how far. much he wanted that job. Yeah. And weren't those people on the bus, those women on the bus funny? I knew I was going to like the movie when I, when I <laughs> saw that scene, cause that just made me laugh so hard. Uh, I think it would be similar if I decided to take the bus from here to uh, San Diego you know, a city bus with 12 transfers or something. <laughs> It'll take you about five hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The uh, di the director of it also wrote it and produced it, James Clavell. Yeah, I thought that he did a really good job. Uh, he, he did something interesting in the movie that I found unusual, which was he did that photo montage when they made that field trip to the <clears throat> museum. Oh, I love that. And they played the song in the back, the oversound, yeah. the over uh, song. Yeah, they did. And I, I, liked, liked, that I liked it too. And I thought it was an interesting way to kind of diffuse some of the tension that was in the movie because uh, in the photos, every all the kids are smiling and you can see that they're having a good time and it's a success. And leading up to that field trip, you kind of wonder if something bad's going to happen. And by way of that photo montage, it just makes it like this nice little interlude in the movie i i, I read about the uh james clavell i read about his background and i i knew you'd like this he was the screenwriter for the movie the fly oh the the one with uh i think it's jeff jeff goldblum goldblum, goldblum. goldblum yeah that's scary a scary movie. Movie. And he also was his it is he wrote the screenplay for the great escape which is one of my favorite movies with Steve McQueen and James Garner. Yeah, he was pretty so he was very active. Pretty active. Made a lot of good movies and uh all the way into the eighties. I think The Fly came out in the in the eighties. Uh a little bit on Sidney Poitier who really, you know, stands out and he made so many movies. It's like he'd won an Academy Award for The Lilies of the Field. I think that was in nineteen sixty three. And just a, just a few of the movies he was in, Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, In the Heat of the Night with Rod Steiger, on and on. And I believe he's still the ambassador of the Bahamas to Japan. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, the guy is really, and he's won a presidential medal or been awarded a Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009. What a talent. He really broke a lot of ground for black actors starting in their 50s and, and carrying on into the 60s and then later. Yeah, the, I made a note that it was there was a refreshing lack of prejudice in the movie. Uh, and I thought that all the way up until the point when the one boy's mother dies... Yes. 
and uh, Mr. Thackeray, who's played by Sidney Poitier, suggests that the girls take the flowers to the funeral, and there's this long pause and moment of silence, and they have to explain to him that they... Well, well, it's what people would say, sir. What the family would say if, if they saw us going into a coloured person's home, sir. We've got nothing against you, sir. Honest. But if one of us was... Well, you can't imagine the things we said, sir. He starts... He gets this funny look on his face, and then he starts to laugh, because, of course, he would totally understand he's a black <laughs> <Yes>. man. <laughs> right. I remember that. Uh... There was one other scene where uh, uh, the Sidney Poitier character had cut his hand. Oh, yeah. And one of the guys said... Oh, you've cut yourself. Oh, you better put something on that, sir. You might get locked or something. Blimey, red blood. <laughs> what do you expect, pinhead? Ink? Yeah, That was the other... He was surprised that he had red blood. Yeah. But... but for the time and and all, it was uh, there was much less of that than I you know in a lot of movies. Well, I think also in sure. London and the UK, there's le- there was less of that, and and still to this day. But the uh, diversity of the kids in the class there was an Asian, there was a Indian, there's black, you know, Caucasian, uh, a little bit of everything, and I thought that was pretty interesting too. And I'm not sure if that was a comment on the location of the school and kind of where they were drawing their kids from, or maybe just more of a commentary on London and, and the UK in general. But I, I thought that was interesting that they had such a diverse group of kids. The, uh, another background thing on, on uh, Mr. Poitier, he was in a, uh, another school movie in 1955, Blackboard Jungle with Glenn Ford, uh, the actor that we uh, uh, reviewed, the 310 to Yuma, he was the actor in that. Uh, in that one, Glenn Ford played the teacher, and Sidney Poitier was one of the students in a New York City school. But what I remember of that movie, um, among other things, is it, it, there was another hit rock and roll song in that movie, Rock Around the Clock. Oh, yeah. Which was, which was again, a number one hit back in the 50s. I think it was by Bill Haley, Haley in the comments. So, was, uh, so he's, he he made a lot of movies. That was another one I just remembered. I kind of wanted to watch that movie before I watched this movie. I just didn't have time because uh, I had read that it was kind of an interesting contrast between his character in Blackboard Jungle and then his character in To Sir With Love. Oh, definitely. Interesting contrast. Definitely. I think his character in this movie in many ways uh, is parallel to his character where he won the Academy Award in Lilies of the Field, where he helps a group of uh, nuns build a church in, I think it's New Mexico. I mean, I, I believe he could play any kind of role. I do too. And so and talented. He, he just came across as such a gentleman in the movie, but then when you hear his backstory... Because uh, he comes to the conclusion that teaching the kids from the curriculum isn't going to work. And he realizes that 
treating them like kids at all isn't going to work and that they need to be treated as adults because they're seniors and they're going to be graduating soon and they're going to be in the real world. And he tells them that... Those are out. They are useless to you. I suddenly realized that you are not children, that you will be adults in a few weeks with all the responsibilities that implies. So from now on, you will be treated as such by me and by each other as adults, responsible adults. Next, we are going to be reasonable with each other. We are just going to talk, you and I. You are going to listen without interruption. And when I am finished, one of you may have your say without interruptions. Next. First of all, the bleeding alarm did go. Then I had to wait hours for a bath. Do you know, I think I must have stood there for about three bleeding hours waiting for Example. a bath. Example. There are two ways to enter a room. One is like an adult, a lady with dignity. The other is like a brat. Miss Dare has just shown us the second way. Perhaps you would care to demonstrate the first. They can, they're going to be talking about life and death and marriage and sex and anything they want to talk about. And I thought that was really a, an important turning point in the film. I really did. I mean, that was the, that was the key insight yeah. that he had, right? That They were really a group of uh, misfits at the beginning. And I couldn't get past the fact that, you know, you're in the class and you're smoking and... Standing on the desks and yeah, making yeah, out. A little different. <laughs> and then uh, I think that wasn't the turning point sort of generated by uh, when they... As a as a prank, they burned that sanitary napkin in the classroom heater. Oh, yeah. And, and, he, he, and that's when he flipped out. And All you boys, out. The girls, stay where they are. What's the matter, Mr. Packard? Out! 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 Foul language, your crude behavior, and your sluttish manner. There are certain things a decent woman keeps private, and only a filthy slut would have done this. And those who stood by and encouraged her are just as bad. I don't care who's responsible, you're all to blame. I'm going to leave this room for five minutes, by which time that disgusting object had better be removed and the windows open to clear away the stench. If you must play these filthy games, do them in your homes! lost it and he was mad at himself he He got mad at himself but then he decided okay we're going to change the rules of this game i thought about this a lot uh after watching the movie that they make a point at the beginning of the movie to say that these kids don't really have a home life that they don't have parents that really look out for them and we find out later that they are doing a lot of the parenting themselves they're watching their younger siblings and and at school, the other teachers just see their jobs as almost like babysitters, just to just to get them through the system. And I thought I, I thought that um, Mr. Thackeray's insight was really that they needed somebody who could almost be like a parent figure to them, to because all those things that he wants to talk to them about are things that parents should talk to their kids about, right? Oh, it certainly was, and I think that was really probably an accurate portrayal of the lives of those. Uh teenagers i also thought that the 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 one male teacher not the gym teacher but the other male teacher i forget what subject he taught 
was just putting in his time for his paycheck. And then at the toward the end of the movie, even he had kind of come around. He, his character had grown, and he was much more accepting of the kids, and he was at that dance and talking to Lulu about the salad. And I thought, so uh, Mr. Thackeray's influence wasn't just on the students, but it was also on the teachers. Yeah, that guy said something at the beginning of the movie where... Why did you take up teaching? Oh, it's good to have some kind of a job. But I'm teaching them nothing. I'm not even getting the first place. Don't worry. Your lot will be leaving this term. The next lot will be better. They'll be just as bad. Probably worse. Then what's your answer? What they need is a bloody good hiding. rather sorry for them, you know. I mean, most of them can hardly read. You're so naive, my dear old colleague. They'll be earning twice as much as us before you can shake a stick. They'll happily be part of the great London unwashed. Illiterate, smelly, and quite content. And education's a disadvantage in this day and age. That is ridiculous. But still true. So you'd better start brushing up on your voodoo if you wish to remain sane. Because he was just like kind of offended that, that yes. he would have just given up, basically. Yeah. But uh, Sidney Poitier didn't give up, did he? My goodness. And it, and it wasn't until the very end of the movie when... Because he had accepted a job. His His whole thing was that he just needed a job until he could get hired as an engineer. And that guy that... Was it the guy that we're talking about that said something to us, Mr. Thackeray about, well, you could, anybody can be an engineer, but not, not, any, not just anybody could be a teacher like you, like you are? I believe it, it was either that man or one of the other uh, teachers, one of the women, but it was sort of another turning point where the, the other teachers were beginning to see how talented he was in his role and how he was doing things uh, in such a different way. I do. I, I, I had to laugh a little bit because when he uh, got the letter back for the engineering job, he was going to be the third assistant engineer at a radio <laughs> manufacturing company in the Midlands. And I'm thinking, I'll bet today that there aren't any radio manufacturing companies in the Midlands of the United Kingdom. Uh, I may be wrong. Certainly no it, third assistant engineers. <laughs> yeah, like, wow. He was really starting at the at the beginning point, wasn't he? And he he had to make a decision on his own to come around to the fact that he actually was a good t teacher that this was something that he could do to change kids' lives because at the very very end of the movie uh they're at that dance and all the kids are dressed nicely, they're behaving, they have nice manners. And then Lulu gets up and sings that song. And then they all present to him. And I think it's the Asian girl from the class presents a, a gift to him. Yeah, that was really a sweet scene. She was so small and, and, and shy. Yeah, that was a good scene, the way they set that up. And she hardly said anything in the whole movie. But then they picked her to give the present to him. I thought that was a good choice. But and then he, 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 he was, he was, he was speech. He was literally speechless. Cause they were saying yeah. speech, speech. 
and he just had to leave to go sit in his office or his classroom. He was emotionally overwhelmed by that. It, it's the only time in the movie where he really didn't know what to say. Backing up for a minute, I was uh, I was thinking about the uh, scene in the gymnasium, you know, when that one teacher, the gym teacher, is having them do those jumps. That's right out of 1950. Oh, the gym class know. was crazy. It, yeah. <laughs> they did vaulting and boxing. and They looked like they were wearing their underwear, too. Yeah, those were uh, those were definitely old school gym equipment, uh, and then it kind of leads to an interaction between Mr. Thackeray and that gym teacher. But then, more importantly, Mr. Thackeray and the uh, young student that threatened the teacher, and then it leads up to Mr. Thackeray boxing. I believe his name is uh, Denham. Denham. Yeah, I think so. And what lesson was that? I mean, he taught him a wonderful lesson in that. Even in the boxing. I couldn't believe that they were going to box because I can't imagine today that ever happening today. No way. No, I don't. no way. But I thought, yeah. but you're right. I thought that he, he let, he let the kid hit him a few times and then he gave him a really good punch to the gut. What, one, one time. One time. And then was helping him and saying, you're going to be okay. You know, put, keep your head down, breathe. And Denham realized after that, that Mr. Thackeray wasn't just like this highbrow kind of guy that was here to tell them all what to do and didn't have any real world experience, but you know was a t- could also be a tough guy. And I think Denham really only responded to the physical, yeah, um, you know, the physical display of force that that he did there in the boxing match. And it really helped when Mr. Thackeray said that Denham should uh, work part time the next when he graduates to teach the younger students how to box. I thought that was such a great scene in that, in that stairwell there. Mm-hmm. Cause he just, he wouldn't get, he didn't give up on these kids and he knew that they were no. good kids at heart, you know, and he really believed in them and that none of the kids did anything that was so awful that you, you could, you couldn't forgive them. You know, they were pranking him and they were kind of saying mean things to him, but they did respond to him as well. So they really, they really did. The other thing in a, in the movie that I don't think would would hold up well today is the interaction between Mr. Thackeray and Judy Gleason's character Pamela Dare, and that line between the male teacher and the female student got awfully close to being blurred a couple times in the movie, not by him so much, but by her, and that. I'm sure that happens a lot. I've never taught, but I'm sure that happens a lot. But it was, uh, it caught my attention because today that would be, there'd be a clear, bright line between what the teacher could do and the, and the student. Yeah, the, the first thing I thought when Pamela and Mr. Thackeray were alone in his classroom together was that that would never, yeah. ever happen today because the door would have to be open and there'd have to be another person there. And, right. Um, and then I, it was uncomfortable to watch them do that dance scene a little bit because how how do you do that as the teacher and not encourage the student to think that you like her, you know, in, in that yeah. way that she likes you? I thought that was a really delicate line to walk. It definitely, uh, to, to me, it, it, it sort of dates the movie. But I still... 
liked it. I mean, it's, it's just in 1967, it was a different set of standards. Well, and it, and it, and it never really went anywhere, you know, that was inappropriate. He never, he never touched her. He never said anything that would lead her on, really, other than that he would dance with her. Um, and that she was a... Thank you. Thank you. Can I come and see you sometimes? You know, next time. I won't be here. Everybody's got to move on. I'm glad I met you, though. You've helped me a lot. We were lucky to have you. The whole world's waiting for you. You're a smasher. (laughs) Thanks. Some other things that I noticed is I I like the industrial blue-collar vibe of the cinematography. Oh, I love those people at the outdoor market. Yeah, that was so realistic to me. I thought I felt like we were really right down in the dock areas of, of London. Uh, the... I, th- I think where that movie took place in 1967, I think that whole area now in London has been remodeled and restored, and and it's a big, it's a it's a hugely popular business district now. I, I think, think you're right. Yeah, the change. I, I like the incessant smoking. I mean. <laughs> Oh man! Everybody smoked. Just like we see this all the time in the in the older movies, it, it just was an accepted thing. And uh, one of the female teachers came in and introduced herself in the staff lounge, and I couldn't get over how yellow her teeth were <laughs> from, from all <laughs> the smoking. The other thing that that uh, was going on with the boxing, you know, back in the twenties, thirties, and forties, boxing and fifties, boxing was a huge part of sports. In in uh, even in religious organizations, they had boxing teams, and I can remember in my hometown of Montana, there was a Golden Globe or Golden Glove, uh, not Golden Glo- Golden Glove tournament. All kinds of boxers, young boxers. That that just seems so foreign to me today. It does because uh, at the high school here, they their PE activities are things like badminton. They'll play some softball, basketball. They might play flag football, but there's no contact sports at all. Do they have uh, wrestling? Uh, only as a team sport, but not as something they do in PE. Not in PE. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a different. I like the yeah. fact that there were no electronics. Like if you had made this movie today, all the kids would have been on their <laughs> smartphones, and you know, it was it was they they had books and they were drawing notes in their books, and the one denim guy was looking at dirty magazines in the back. And... Yeah. Right. <laughs> So true. I mean, I don't know if I even saw a telephone in the entire movie. I'm sure there was one. I just don't remember it. Uh, it, it was it was very realistic in terms of the way they set up the community and the surrounding area. So I liked that a lot. One other thing about the community is that about three quarters of the way through the movie, he was walking. He'd gotten his letter, I think, of acceptance to this job as an engineer. Third assistant third, engineer. Third assistant engineer, all right. And he was walking to school, and all of the parents of the students that were in his class were saying hi to him, and they knew who he was, and they called him Sir, and he yeah. become quite uh, the popular figure in, in the little area of town there. It was really an upbeat scene as he's walking through, and some of those people look like they might have been boxers. <laughs> that one guy, I tell you. So uh, the, the thing I, I found about it... Uh, it's a very, these are my words, I didn't read this anywhere. I just, it's a very gentlemanly movie, 
given you know the standards in movies today if it were dealing with that subject but also given the fact the school's history and students and neglect were, were the way they were it's still it has it has a real upbeat flavor for me yeah i liked i liked what you said about the gentlemanly kind of aspect of the movie there's really no violence in the movie there's no there's swearing but it's it's you know words that don't have the same kind of connotation and meaning to us as they would to people in the UK as you know so it doesn't really come across as a lot of swearing and you know I compared I thought about this movie compared to the movie Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer I thought that movie was sort of a spiritual successor to this movie to start with love The, the tension and the drama and the danger in that movie, Dangerous Minds, is so much higher. And they got me facing. I can't live a normal life. I was raised by the state, so I gotta be down with the hood team. Too much television watching got me chasing dreams. I'm an educated fool with money on my mind. Got my tin in my hand. And it's not at all kind of the slower, more gentle pace of this movie. And I think that's just a reflection of, of the times more than anything else. Well, you know, I think we should review that, that movie uh, this year. Dangerous Minds? Pfeiffer. Yes, yeah, I think we should. And then the one that I like is uh, James Almost is uh, the teacher. Oh, Stand and Deliver. Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. wonderful movie. from. Uh, it takes place in East L.A. I remember that a movie. Math teacher. That's a good one. It's kind of similar to this as well, yeah. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole like uh, genre of these movies where the teacher comes in and kind of turns the classroom around. And I guess going way back to probably even before Blackboard Jungle, I would think. Yeah, back into the 30s even. Well, I, I read that it was this, the, the To Serve With Love is the 27th best out of the 50 best all-time school-based movies. It came in 27th. And I'm, I sent you a note. I'd love to know what the titles of 1 through 26 are. I haven't looked that up, but and, and I, I love, had no idea there were that many. I love the category, school-based movies. <laughs> school-based movies. And that could be anything from Blackboard Jungle to, uh, well. To Weird Science. <laughs> to weird, yeah, Weird Science. No, not Weird Science. Uh, real Genius. Genius. Real Genius. Real Genius. Yeah. yeah real, with Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Another one of my another one of my favorite movies and actors, by the way, I love Val Kilmer. I, I, I got to see Val Kilmer in a, a one man uh, play at the Pasadena Playhouse. He was uh, doing uh, Mark Twain. Yeah, you said he was really, really good in that too. He was really good in that. Yeah, yeah. I got to meet him. Oh, that's cool. I remember you got some pictures with him. Yeah. Well, I I ended up giving the movie this movie an eight out of ten, and my note was. I love the movie. It just seems to be a bit gentlemanly given the background of the people and the school and all. And it didn't kind of come up to uh, the tens that we've given to uh, Double Indemnity or Grapes of Wrath, but it's very, very good. I would recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it or if they've seen it to watch it again. Yeah, I would give uh, Sidney Poitier a 10. And I would give the director and the writer a, a, a 10. But the overall movie, I think you're right, it's probably an 8. Because certainly uh, Sidney Poitier 
just had such a gravity and such a, a weight in the movie. And I don't, I think it would be really hard as a, a an actor in a film with him to kind of rise to his level. So, you know, the, the, the whole movie is really good. I enjoyed it. I, I, I would recommend it. Uh, I really, really liked his performance. I liked the cinematography. Uh, the, the acting overall was, was pretty good. It was a little, not as strong in, in some areas as others, but certainly Sidney Poitier was, was great the whole way through. Just loved his character. He, he's so outstanding. Um, I, I, I would guarantee that if you listen to, to Serve With Love one time more, it would be in your head for six months, that song. You know, There's something about that song. It just, it won't go away. I've been humming it around here for like the last three days. Oh my gosh. This happens after every single episode of the podcast. I'm humming the song from the movie for like two or three days. You know, it, it, it brings to mind that the, the effect of movie music on me, at least is just overwhelming. I mean, I can't imagine this movie if it didn't have that music or any of the movies that we've liked. It adds Far more than I think I ever appreciated before we started doing these podcasts. I think a good op- tremendous. I think a good opening musical score or song, or a, a song associated with the movie has a huge kind of impact on my whole my overall impression of of yeah. the film. Yeah, I would agree. So you gave it an eight out of ten overall too. I did an eight out of ten. Yeah. Well, it's a really good movie. Um, so we have something. What's up next? We have something special planned. We have another marathon coming up. Uh, not monster movies this time, but oh darn! I know. We'll we'll circle back around to some more monster movies in 2015. Okay. Uh, but uh, we're gonna do a, the John Huston Humphrey Bogart one-two punch of Maltese Falcon. From 1941. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. 1947. And, and Beat the Devil. From 1953. So we've got, we've got quite a waterfront of movies covered with the uh, Houston Bogart duo. And they made more movies than that together, but we wanted to get uh, a sprinkling of movies from different time periods to see if we notice anything that maybe changes or if we like some more than others. I I already know that I like Maltese Falcon and Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and I haven't seen uh, Beat the Devil, so I'm looking forward to that one. It'll be a good good movie to watch. And it's in color, Technicolor or Deluxe Color, as the other two are black and white. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, at the top of the show, we forgot to wish everyone a Happy New Year, so we could do that now. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. And we're looking All forward, the best. We're looking forward to another year of doing the podcast. We haven't done quite a full year yet, but we have done up 27 episodes now, I think. Yes, that's right. So We're, we're coming uh, up on a, a, one, a first anniversary, I think February 9th or something like that. Yeah, we so. did Stagecoach. Almost a year. So it's been fun, and I'm really happy that we can keep doing these, and uh, we're happy oh, that so people are enjoying them. We've gotten <clears throat> some great feedback, and appreciate that. And if anybody has any comments or suggestions for us, you can leave them on our website, which, again, is classicmoviereviews.net. 
Uh, and if you happen to be on iTunes, uh, visit us at, just search for Classic Movie Reviews and leave us a comment and a rating. It'd be great to get some more ratings in iTunes. Uh, until next time, I'm Matt Johnson. I'm Bob Johnson, and we're wishing you happy movie watching. For closing books and long last looks must end. And as I leave, I know that I am leaving my best friend. A friend who taught me right from wrong and weak from strong. That's a lot to learn. What can I give you in return? If you wanted the moon, I would try to make a start. But I would rather you let me give my heart to say. We went to dinner at the uh, at the Swiss Chalet on Saturday night. That sounds cool. Yeah, and, and I it was with Chuck and Carol and Nancy and I. And it's Walter would have been right at home there. He could have been serving waffles from the back <laughs> room. But the thing that struck me is they were had an accordion player and this great. I, I'm not a big fan of accordion music, but I thought that he maybe had been on the Lawrence Welk show. It had that kind of feel to it. And I thought if I didn't know I was in Los Angeles, I would have figured I might have been in North Dakota <laughs> with that music. It was just, it was so different. <laughs> Great food, too. That's funny. A wonderful, wonderful. <laughs>